0: This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now, your News Talk host, Linda Swain.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone, on this deceptively... Cold day. <laughs> Were you out today, Claudette? Well, so
2: I was only out as far as my car, and uh, our colleague Diane was out as well. And she looked at me, and she looked down, and she said, "Both of us, basically, I guess we most, we both had our
1: ankles bare." And she said, "What a day to choose that, right? Cause oh. It's deceptive." Yeah, really deceptive. Uh, it looks beautiful out there. So uh, when lunchtime came, I said, "You know what? I'm going to take a dart out now for a and <laughs> Went to the parking lot. <laughs> yes. The wind
2: is raw. It is. It's a good way to describe it.
1: Yeah. But uh, anyway, better days ahead, I suppose. I had another person send me a few pictures of spring in their little neck of the woods. <laughs> and uh, I was like, you know, wh- where, where, Where's where, where is that? Where are you springtime? <laughs> we don't get spring, you know, not like other
2: provinces that are, it's so distinctive. I f- find that we get sprinter and I yeah. don't enjoy it as yeah. much.
1: Yeah, we certainly do. But... We get them all back in the fall. True. So there. Yes. <laughs> when you got your windows open at night in October, we enjoy fall. We're doing all right. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Well, uh, to uh, the big news story of the day, I suppose, there will be no ode to Newfoundland at this year's Memorial University convocation ceremonies Well, university officials consult with a variety of interest groups on the way forward. Well, as you recall, it was, uh, by all accounts, a very unpopular move but the ode was discontinued last fall because, according to Memorial, it did not reflect the many communities within the university. An ad hoc uh, committee of senate will work with Indigenous students, Labradorians, international students, and other key groups about how to ensure convocation ceremonies are inclusive and appropriately reflect and celebrate student achievements. Dr. Neil Bowes uh, today apologized for the approach taken in making the initial decision last year. If you recall, it was kind of yanked. And uh, and then, a dis- uh, you know, the explanation was made, and that got people even more riled up, I suppose. But the decision, of course, didn't sit well today with members of the House of Assembly who broke into an impromptu singing of the ode during debate. The matter was raised by opposition House Leader Barry Pettin.
0: Speaker Morley University continues to make headlines for all the wrong reasons. Now, the Senate has voted to the shock of the province, and I think to most opposition, and especially to me, mm-hmm. to continue not singing the Ode to Newfoundland. Sure. Sure. Speaker, is government going to intervene?
3: The Honourable the Minister of Tourism, Culture, Arts and Recreation. Mr. Speaker, I would join in the course, but I can't sing. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Speaker, I I thank the honorable member opposite for this question today. Quite frankly, I believe it was that honorable member that brought forward a resolution last year, uh, I think in November, quite frankly, uh, that at that time I was sitting as government house leader and I borrowed the member's uh, motion that day that we could unanimously vote in this house Uh, For you, Mr. Speaker, to write a letter to Memorial University, and I'll conclude with the be it resolved, and I hope I get another question, but Mr. Speaker, that day the House urged Memorial University to include the Ode to Newfoundland and the Ode to Labrador in all future convocation ceremonies so that Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, one great university, will properly honor the people, the legacy, the beauty, and the uh, the potential, and the fall of Newfoundland and Labrador, Mr. Speaker. I am as disappointed as the member opposite is today. Uh, and am uh, The honorable, the opposition leader, uh, thank you, Speaker, and I appreciate
0: the Minister's response, and I'm glad he supports it. But I guess the question I got is out of touch with the majority of this province. And government does have an ability here to step in and make the, make this right. So I'm asking once again, will the Minister, will the government, will the Premier, Deputy Premier, make this an issue, to make this, this, this should not be, Mr. Speaker, this should not be. It's an insult to the people of this province. He's stopped now.
3: The Honourable Minister of Tourism, Culture, Arts and Recreation. Uh, again, Mr. Speaker, I've been here for nine years and very rarely do myself and the member from Conception Bay say so if you agree. <laughs> but I can tell you we agree today, Mr. Speaker. I, I, I spoke to uh, I spoke to the I spoke to uh, Mr. Bose's office earlier this morning. Uh, Brought forward my profound displeasure with the, 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 I think, the lack of respect, quite frankly, for this House of Assembly, Mr. Speaker. There are 40 of us. There, are, there are, there, are, there, are, there are 40 of us here in this House of Assembly, Mr. Speaker. And we sat here last fall and unanimously agreed that the ode to Newfoundland and the ode to Labrador should be played at our university. We're elected by the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, Mr. Speaker. And Mr. Speaker, I think the decision should be reversed. And we will continue to bring that message forward to Memorial University. The Honorable the Opposition House Leader.
0: I thank the Minister for that response and we'll stay tuned and we certainly hope that that decision is reversed because it's wrong and I will be there May 31st and I may stand up and sing it. I'm not much of a singer but I may get up and sing it on my own.
3: For the record, I did pause, question period, time for that. Yeah. We'll resume question, uh, oral questions. The Honourable the Minister of Tourism, Culture, Arts and Recreation. Yeah, Mr. Speaker, sure. I just want to respond to the member of CBS just quickly. He said he's going to be there proudly on May 31st. I'm going to be there proudly as a parent on June the 1st, Mr. Mm-hmm. Speaker. And quite frankly, don't be surprised if I don't stand up and see yeah. Yeah. The Honourable the Opposition
0: House no, Leader. It's hard to follow questions after something like that, isn't it? We actually get along on time, so Keep going that way, please. It's not all bad.
1: So there you have it. Uh, House of Assembly today uh, breaking into song. Not only did they sing a couple of stanzas of the Ode to Newfoundland, but they also uh, went into uh, a few stanzas of the Ode to Labrador, led, I believe, by Lynn Howell. That was her voice in the background, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, So what do you think? Um, Does it bother you that Memorial has decided to drop the Ode to Newfoundland in its convocation ceremonies? Well, give us a call. When we come back...
4: Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking.
1: And we're back. Well, yesterday you will recall that debate in the House of Assembly centered around the condition of Frank Roberts Jr. High in Conception Bay South. That's an aging school in Foxtrap. The MHA for the area, Barry Pettin, says the building has numerous problems, including... Dare I say it? A rat infestation. Well, that prompted the education minister to confirm that many large public buildings do, in fact, have rats. Well, I sought out, I'm sorry, an expert on the eradication of vermin. Kenneth Penny is the branch manager for Newfoundland and Labrador with Orkin Canada well ken penny this is <laughs> i don't know <laughs> this is your business i suppose but for everyone else it seems very very distressing it seems like uh i've noticed uh quite a few uh, rats or the remains of rats in and around town uh, as of late is this a time of year when they're coming around what's going on
5: well this is definitely the time of the year where they're most prevalent i mean the uh You know, the cold is after going. I mean, for the past few months now into our winter season, most rodents have been trying to stay inside, hiding in walls and hiding in areas and, and, you know, uh, scrounging for food wherever they can find us. But now when the warmer weather starts to come out, they want to get out some more. Um, They generally don't like being inside unless it's cold or wet. Uh, So because they're out a little bit more, more people are starting to see them.
1: So if you suddenly realize that you have a rat problem, what can you do to prevent them from coming around? The
5: biggest thing that we tell most customers um, is basically knowing, you know, the biology of of the rodents. So uh, if you're talking about rats, um, one thing that we know is that, you know, they need uh, food, water, shelter, and, you know, they they like to procreate. So um, you have to look at your environment, whether it's outside or inside. So if you notice that you have rats on the outside of your home, well, then you need to look at, you know, the outside of your home to kind of see, okay, what environment do I have here that's going to entice the rodents coming to my side? The property. So, uh, this time of the year, where the snow and everything is after melting, a lot of homeowners have pets. You know, have fecal matter on their lawn So, that's the general the first thing that they should be cleaning off. Uh, then, standing water. If you have any standing water around the house, because rats need six ounces of water a day, um, so you know that needs to be fixed. If you have any harboring areas, uh, you know, most homes have you know uh, old wood, whatnot, in their backyards, throw away. Those are areas where they can get in and kind of hide out, and nest. So if you could take away those things on the outside, then you know that would basically not make your property so attractive to, for them to come over. And then looking at your home, the biggest thing is, is there any way for them to get in your home? Uh, so uh, what you're looking at in terms of rats is, is a half inch. So a hole that's about the size of a quarter, that's what you're looking at for any possible entry point into the home. So you can temporarily fill it or fix it permanently. Either way, you want to stop them from getting in.
1: Um, And I've also heard, and I know the city of St. John's has talked about this too, is is cleaning up that brush around the parameters of your property because they like to keep tight to fences and walls, that kind of thing.
5: Yeah. So again, that goes back to the same areas, you know, uh, cleaning up any hovering points that they might have. So yeah, brushes, um, you know, uh, high grass, uh, you know, most rodents, they do have a tendency to have, uh, you know, poor eyesight, especially mice. So when it comes to like high grass around your property, especially close to your home, I mean, mice like to put their shoulders against the property and kind of use the parameter as a, as a guide. And it's the same thing inside your house to use the baseboards and whatnot. So yeah, I mean, uh, when it comes to those types of things, Things you know, high high grass, a lot of brushes, uh, a, a lot of you know bushes or trees. If you can trim those down, basically you're trying to eradicate any any possible hiding spots.
1: Do we have a rat problem in you know Metro or or in this province?
5: Um, well, from the duration of, of my career, um, I've been with Orkin for uh, 12 years now, uh, and we have seen, uh, especially in the urban areas, um, that year over year the, the rodent population keeps to continues to increase, um, and, and there's you know a bunch of factors that. That come with that right I mean the biggest one has always been and always will be um, human pressure uh, the more we develop in uh, in our urban areas I mean the more that we're going to rip up habitats and then when we rip up those habitats I mean they're, they're going to want to go somewhere uh, fortunately for them I mean most of the times it's businesses or residential homes that go in and that provide them with environments that they can use to kind of develop uh, and help them you know help them grow so if you got a home a new home and uh, you know you, you've just put in a new subdivision well there's a lot of garbage and again a lot of old wood and and things that go in the backyard where they can start hiding so uh, as we progress I guess as a society we're going to see you know um, the rodent population increase and, and become more prevalent in our homes because um, necessarily right now they're, they're kind of parasitic in ways when it comes to our businesses and our homes.
1: We have a lot of big institutional buildings, uh, particularly on the northeast Avalon. Schools, hospitals, uh, HMP. You know, a lot of these big institutional buildings. Some of them quite old. Are are they kind of favoured spots for these things?
5: Well, when you, whenever you have an older building, especially a building that hasn't been tended to properly, and I'm not saying by any means that these buildings not being tended to properly, but from my experience, uh, if you have an older building um, and structurally it's not sound, it has holes, it has you know uh, areas through are which these rodents can get into, um, then yeah, I mean you know those are going to be you know the the first places that are going to go, especially you I mean if if it has very 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 very, very little human interaction. Um, it's not like your house where you live in your house and if a rodent comes in you know you got a dog you got you know two adults and some kids and they're running around the house constantly and and you're scaring that rodent all the time if you have an empty an empty building and they get in well you know like I said we already know that they need food water shelter so they already have the shelter aspect of it Um, and they would feed on anything organic and they can get water from basically anything running pipes or condensation or whatnot so um, you know older buildings especially especially buildings that are, uh, you know, that, that have no occupants. I mean, yeah, they, they are very conducive to having, you know, a, a rodent population. And if it's left unattended for quite some time, obviously that population will build if the environment is conducive to that.
1: What kind of calls do you get most frequently?
5: Uh, this time of year, uh, right now, we're getting more residential calls. Um, we have seen our residential, uh, our residential issues kind of inflate since COVID. Uh, so we have seen that the, uh, the rodent population has kind of shifted uh, because when society shifted and people were working home, um, there was more garbage. And again, uh, more of those environments are conducive to allow rodents to come over to their side of the fence. So uh, this time of year now, yeah, we're definitely getting more residential and, and we've seen that increasing year over year.
1: Any other type of uh, pests that are problematic this time of year?
5: This time of year, I mean, you're looking at um, um, sow bugs, so uh, what most people will call here as carpenters, and also too, you'll be looking at uh, earwigs. And basically what that is now is that, again, it's all relative to the moisture content in the ground. So now that the snow is after uh, melting and, you know, the frost is starting to go out of the ground, a lot of the eggs uh, from the insects are starting to thaw out. They're going to want to come out. They only need really moist environments uh, for the egg to develop, and then when the Get into the house if the house is, you know, has has a has a uh, a low moisture point, um, or I should say a high moisture point. Um, they can thrive. Um, so we get a lot of customers are calling saying that they'll see cell bugs or or earwigs, you know, in their basements and, and those things. And uh, one of the things I can tell uh, a lot of customers is, you know, if you have uh, dehumidifier in those areas, that will significantly help. Um, but if not, if it's just a uh, um, an issue what it comes to structurally it's again the same thing looking at areas where they can come in around your doorways around your windows um, uh, possible entry points into the foundations and if those things can't be found then that's when I would suggest for them to call a a professional company
1: Kenneth Penny uh, (laughs) uh, thank goodness for people like you to take care of some of these creepy crawlies for us I really appreciate your time this afternoon thanks so much
5: no problem thank you
1: and I'm sorry if that gave you the heebie jeebies. <laughs> it usually have, does. Have you noticed though an increase in he mentioned the carpenters and that's very interesting, Claudette, because I have been sweeping up and vacuuming carpenters. I can't tell you how long.
2: Yeah, that's I have an irrational fear of those. Do I, you really? I I can't stand them so much. I, I really, really hate them. I had as a child I grew up in a. I had a basement with a lot of carpenters in my bedroom and they would hang sometimes from oh. the curtain okay so All yeah. right. okay, okay. Mm. too mm. much Yep. yep. i too should much. just go to
1: work sorry okay sorry Yep. carry on
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh and i noticed it's, i think i just uh disconnected somebody by accident so if they'd be kind enough to call back
1: yeah absolutely um we've been having a little trouble with that line uh, over the course of the day so um yeah be, please be patient with us um so carpenters <laughs> a lot of people bothered by earwigs they don't bother me as much but i know that They do bother some people.
2: Oh, yeah. Some people really, really get wigged out. And depending on where you live, like I used to have a carpenter problem, but then one of my other relatives, it would all be about the airwigs. And she was living in a completely different part of CBS, for instance.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I don't want to talk about the rest of the stuff that we were talking about. Anyway, uh, any thoughts on that? You're certainly welcome to give us a call as well. Well, coming up, the province announces a new initiative to cut down on on the number of missed appointments in the healthcare system. And it's become a real problem. And you'll hear what um, Health Minister Tom Osborne had to say about that today when we come up uh, in the next, uh, just after the newscast, as a matter of fact. This is News Talk on VOCM. And we're back, we're gonna go to the lines now. We're gonna speak with uh, Cyril from Mount Pearl. Hi Cyril. How's Linda today? A long time no talk, Linda. Yeah, for sure, how are you doing?
6: Not too bad. I actually, I'll tell you what made me jump on board there this evening, Now, is I was listening to your early callier, uh, caller there. Uh, he must be with SPCA or, or, anyway, Pest Control, that type of thing. Uh, I never cut his name. Or yeah, with thing. Orkin.
1: He's with Orkin Pest Control, yeah.
6: Okay. i tell you what, Linda, I've been neglecting to make this phone call for a long time. But when I heard him on, I said, well, i tell you what. Um, a big thing that I see is going on here in the area of Mount Pearl where I live So, is people are feeding uh, the birds, the gulls, the crows. A matter of fact, one particular area with an apartment building, which is only five or six years old, beautiful apartments from almost like condos uh, here in the Mount Pearl area. There's a resident, say, for example, and I wouldn't say the name, naturally, but there's a resident there that feeds the crows uh, with a bird feeder up on her deck, and you should see the faeces from the birds and the crows. Twice a day, this individual does this, and then people wonder why there's rats and uh, mice and all kinds of insects and whatnot. I mean, when are people going to learn? Two weeks ago, Linda, I see it on on the Weather Channel. They had somebody uh, talking about uh, the birds and the crows and whatnot. And the first thing came out of their mouths were, the professional people are saying, don't feed the animals. And you know what? Until people start doing that, Cleaning up their property and whatnot, there's going to be problems. I just can't understand, pandemic or no pandemic, um, this has been a problem which some people just don't want to learn and listen. Uh, the experts also says the crows and the pigeons and uh, uh, the uh, all the other kind of bird species and whatnot are not going to starve to death. There's all kinds of insects and worms and rivers and whatever the case may be. But you've got people who are actually feeding them, who's attracting the mice and the rats. Uh, you know, it's just incredible what the people do. I mean... Uh, I can't get over it. And uh, when they brought it up two weeks ago uh, on the Weather Channel, I said, "Hooray, hooray, hooray!" I said, "About time someone started, you know, letting it get out there. People needs to leave the animals alone—the crows, the the pigeons, uh, the the, uh, the, uh, the starlings—leave leave, leave these animals alone. There's enough." out there that Mother Nature can provide, that people don't need to be doing that, and actually attracting all kinds of mice and rats, and it's, uh, I don't need to tell you the faeces from seagulls and crows and all that, it's just not fit, it's not healthy, everybody knows that. So why do people do it is beyond me, and I hope who's listening here this afternoon really stops and thinks about this don't feed them. That's what the expert says. So I wanted to jump on board and poke that out there this evening, because Linda, I spent almost 40 years of my life on the road, driving the truck and whatnot, going to people's homes, doorsteps and whatnot. I've seen a lot in my day, I can tell you. And uh, so just besides the fact that the birds and the pigeons and all this stuff... Also, too, there's more people now, too, Linda, that are causing a bit more problems with their composting. People are putting composting uh, 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 contraptions out in their gardens. Now, you mean to tell me that's not going to attract mice and
1: rats and this, that, and the other thing, so? Well, it shouldn't if you do it properly. It shouldn't if you do it properly.
6: Well, I tell but you you what have what to attend that?
1: to it fairly regularly.
6: Well, I tell you what. I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask, I don't know nothing about the composting part of it, but uh, but I do know what I've saw and what I have seen here in the past number of years. it's uh, it's a bit ridiculous when you see people uh, you know and and here it, you know it uh, it can be your neighbor only a few doors away feeding these uh, uh, crows and pigeons twice a day and you should see the mess over people's vehicles yeah. and sometimes yeah. the crows and the uh, the, uh, uh, the pigeons would almost attack you on the parking parkland yeah, because they got young somewhere in the area. Yeah. Um, it's just incredible.
1: Cyril, I, I do appreciate this. We'll see what others have to say about it. Uh, thanks a lot for your call.
6: I uh last thing, Linda, yeah. uh, would I be able to just poke one more little thing in there Very very into... quickly
1: because I have a couple of um
6: um couple of other people prior
1: not priorities but I have things that I have to do here,
6: yeah. Uh every a lot of people get flyers on their doorsteps, correct? I'm sure you yeah. do probably yourself. You know what? You never hears anybody talk about it. But guess where the flyers end up to most of the time at most people's doorsteps? I can't get over it. People are so lazy this day. These carriers that are delivering this to your house and my house, here it is, they'll throw it on and, uh, and, uh, and the step. And here are the mailboxes only three or four feet from where they went and pitched it on the step, you could come home after all day and it was all wet and then it's not fit to to look at and whatnot, so it was nothing but garbage. Or it gets left there after having a bit of snow uh until the spring comes along. So that's causing environmental issues with in regards to littering. Yeah. But what but these people who do that, guess what they're doing most damage to? The most of the damage they're doing is people snow blowers ends up getting a load yeah. of uh, uh, a load of um, uh, flyers caught up in their snowblower, costing people hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of damage. These, right. people are, these people are are these people need to smarten up with these flyers. If people got a mailbox there, for God's sake,
1: man, put it in it. Cyril, put you've given us a, a lot to think about. I really appreciate your time. Thank Thanks you a lot. For, uh, sorry, sorry for keeping you too long. Yeah, no, no, sorry. no trouble at all. I do have some obligations, though. Thanks. No problem. All righty. Bye-bye. Well, your thoughts on what Cyril's had to say. Give us a call. Well, missed appointments cost the healthcare system tens of millions of dollars, and the provincial government is launching a new public awareness campaign and notification system to ensure that people keep their appointments. Health Minister Tom Osborne addressed the issue in a news conference held earlier this afternoon.
4: To gain a better understanding of the extent of missed appointments, I've asked for an indication of the number of missed appointments as well as an analysis of the policies and procedures regarding appointment utilization across Newfoundland and Labrador. The results were both enlightening and shocking. It became clear that there was a lack of consistency in our missed appointment policies across the province and even within hospitals. And that is why as a government and now as one provincial health authority, we are taking action to improve appointment scheduling uh, operations. We can make improvements to our policies and procedures, including a consistent policy province-wide. And we can improve on how we remind people of their appointments. And that's where we're going to start. What this does and what it means to our healthcare system in our province, wait lists can be reduced with policy improvements and reminders. It means that your mother, your brother, or child can get a procedure sooner. It means literally tens of millions of dollars that can be better utilized in our healthcare system. Here's a snapshot of what missed appointments look like. Approximately 20 to 24% of Holter Monitor appointments are missed. That is almost one in four appointments. EEG, the equivalent of one day per week in missed appointments. Pulmonary function, 17% missed appointments. Lab services, 10%. Ultrasound, 10%. Cardiac ambulatory clinics, 10%. And even our new family care teams have a 10% rate of missed appointments. If we can reduce the number of missed appointments, that directly reflects on wait lists. If we go from 10% missed appointments to 2%, that's 8% more people that we can see and service. If we see 8% more people for a procedure, we also have better use of our resources and a more efficient operation. We've talked about how the Health Authority can help reduce the number of missed appointments, and when Ron speaks, he will add to this, provide greater details on the topic. We can, as residents, also do our part in helping ensure we keep our appointments or cancel them at the earliest opportunity. So if you can't make your appointment, somebody else can. Of course, understanding that there are extenuating circumstances where missed appointments cannot be avoided. We know that everybody's lives are busy. We know that there is work, sports practice for our kids, thinking about what you need to pick up at the grocery store, and on top of that, we have healthcare appointments to keep track of. It can be especially cumbersome to keep track of medical appointments if you or someone in your family has medical issues that require an array of health care services. And missed appointments can take a toll on your health and the health system at large. As I'd indicated, the monetary cost for missed appointments is in the tens of millions of dollars. It's difficult to measure, but it's probably a couple of hundred million dollars. When the real cost of missing an appointment is measured, It's your care that is delayed, or the care of somebody else on the wait list. To provide efficient and more modern reminders, the Provincial Health Authority has adopted the automatic notification system, which is an electronic system used to provide phone, email, or text reminders for non-urgent in-person appointments.
1: And they're introducing that system uh, because it's working in some of the areas, and they've, in fact, reduced the number of um, missed appointments by using that system in some of their healthcare care areas. So they're going to be expanding it that beyond it. They're working towards, I think, neurology and nephrology um, within the next X week, eight weeks or so, and it's going to be right across the problems, not just in certain areas. So hopefully that will help uh, solve that problem. Have you oh. ever missed an appointment, Claudette? Yeah,
2: you know, not... In in certain health areas, so for instance, um, for your dentist or for my physio, they give me reminders, which I rely on so heavily. And I just say it is about time. Not that the you know the onus should be on us to keep our you know everything up to date in our phones and stuff. But when you have an appointment a year out or so many months out, and you no longer have the symptoms or need it, it's not really top of mind anymore. No,
1: it's not. Um, and sometimes you say, well, that's just for this. Uh, the weather's really bad. I'm not driving over the highway right. now to go all the way up there for no reason. Um, uh, you know yeah. the, they're not the buses aren't on the road. Why should I have to drive? So you just say I'll let that go. It's not that important anyway. And then. This happens. Bumps someone else. (laughs) Anyway, it's an interesting issue. Hopefully it uh, results in some changes. Well, uh, coming up, we're going to speak with um, a member of DFO about uh, this uh, whole issue about um, planned oil burn experiments in the offshore. We'll tell you more about that when we come back right after this.
4: Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOC. Lunch break.
1: Well, the FFAW this week indicated that it was pleased that DFO has indefinitely postponed two planned oil burn experiments in the offshore this year. The experiments were to involve the release of oil and other chemical dispersants into the water and burning them off in the ocean. The union demanded that the experiments be cancelled and it is hopeful that the indefinite delay signals the federal government's recognition of what they call the potential harm they could cause. Well, DFO says the postponement is actually to allow for further logistical coordination and engagement to help ensure that the trials are as effective as possible well my next guest is with dfo keith lennon you are the director of ocean science Uh, tell us a little bit about what these um oil field tests are all about
7: so essentially, as you're probably aware that, you know, Canada has a world-class oil spill regime that's in place, um, basically planning for a day we hope will and expect will never happen. But if it does happen, we want to make sure to have an appropriate measures in place that allow us to, um, or all additional measures in place that allow us to effectively and efficiently um, clean up oil that may spill into the ocean so that we may protect the environment, the aquatic resources, and the people that are depending on those for their livelihoods. So essentially what they're look, we're looking to do is establish two field trials that would advance some of the work that's been done in the laboratory to look at two alternative response measures that have been used internationally um, to in responding to oil spills. One of those is the use of dispersants, which essentially is um, a method by which you can break up the oil to allow for increased uh, biodegradation or decomposition of the oil. And the other is a burning uh, method that allows for um, the gathering of the oil and burning of the oil, that, which is basically 95 to 97 percent um, efficient. So the idea is these trials will be done in a controlled environment but in the ocean to validate some of the work that we're doing uh, in the laboratories to help us um, prepare for a day we expect will never happen but and hope will never happen but if it does happen we need to have additional we want to make sure that we have all the tools in the toolbox to respond.
1: So these uh, two tests have been um, uh, postponed indefinitely tell us why
7: so the uh, the postponement of the actual trials themselves we actually are aiming for a um, 2024 deployment of the trials themselves. Essentially, conducting science in the ocean um, is a very complex uh, a po- a complex um, endeavor. Um, as you guys are aware, living on the East Coast, the uh, the oceans themselves pose a lot of interesting challenges themselves and actually just coordinating some of the logistical issues associated with the trials um, as well as the um, not- notification and information we've received about some um, opportunities or some questions we received from some of our stakeholders the postponement will allow us to better align our logistical situation but also um, allow for enhanced engagement with our stakeholders to ensure that um, folks understand the reasoning behind the trials, but also get their opinions and thoughts a little bit more on, uh, on um, you know, how we're going to proceed with those. So the idea is essentially to um, basically necessary to ensure that the field trials are implemented in the most effective and efficient manner, but also making sure that we uh, have the opportunity for enhanced in, 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 uh, uh, coordination of uh, stakeholder um, questions and concerns engagement.
1: So as you um, indicated, uh, the intentional release of oil into the environment is a concern to an awful lot of people. And you mentioned that this is uh, done in a controlled way. How so? Um,
7: So the control of the oil essentially what we're having is we're working very very closely with our colleagues in the canadian coast guard and essentially there will be a backstop of booms and skimmers that are around in a very confined area that allows them to clean up the oil as well as those conducting the actual trials themselves will have the proper equipment there that will actually um, keep the oil within a contained area
1: how much product are we talking about
7: uh, I'm not sure, to be quite honest with you right now. I mean, I think that they're, what we're looking at is a few uh, tanker truck kind of uh, size, around 70, 000, 50 to 70,000 litres of oil which sounds like a lot, but considering the fact that you look at it in the context of the ocean, it's probably about the size of a large swimming pool within the Atlantic Ocean. Again, looking at the measures we have in place, um, it is very, very, um, it, we believe that the efficiency and effectiveness of cleaning that up and utilizing these techniques would leave very, very little residual oil to the point where it would not cause a, any type of risk to the environment.
1: So how would this testing then differ in in the field as opposed to in a more controlled space like a like a pool of some kind?
7: Yeah, I guess you could probably say that one of the first things that I would like to sort of press with you and I believe that you probably agree that um any type of oil spill in an open ocean environment is probably not the first time you want to try a new technology or a new technique, especially on the Atlantic. So part of what we want to do with what we're, uh, with these field trials is actually to make sure that those who will be deploying these type of uh, measures in the future, potentially or hopefully not, are doing so with a little bit of experience so they're not trying to do it in the middle of a crisis and in addition what happens is we want to make sure that you can only do certain amount of activities within the laboratory that that basically mimic the ocean conditions so by doing in the open ocean we we work in an environment that we know um, would be representative of the of the situation but also allows us to take into consideration oceanographic um, situations such as the depths the winds the currents etc which you just can't fully uh you can't fully um, copy in the laboratory so basically it's making sure that we can do this in an environment in the open ocean to make sure that they are effective efficient and feasible but also doing it to make sure that if they are to be deployed in the future that those who would be deploying it would be safe and secure and they have some experience with those.
1: Do these types of field trials take place in other jurisdictions is there anything you can learn from what they have uh, found?
7: Absolutely. They have taken place in other jurisdictions and we have learned met much from different folks. In fact, some of the work we've done in this area in designing the experiments have been done um, in the Gulf of Mexico and also in the North Atlantic um, under through Norway. However, what we want to make sure we do is because the fate behavior—by that I mean how the actual how actual oil acts in the in the environment—is dependent on the type of oil as well as um, the oceanographic conditions that are that are exhibited in the specific area. It's important to do it in an area that is representative of Canada because we want, you couldn't necessarily extrapolate the findings from one area or another. As you as you probably would agree, the conditions down in the Gulf of Mexico from a perspective, a salinity perspective, and the wave action would be much different down there. So also the oil that comes out of the ground down there is different from the oil that we have in Canada. So the idea is we want to make sure that we use a properly um, identified um, environment that is representative of something that that may uh that, that is more representative of the Canadian situation and allow us to do that to ensure that the, uh, when we do these experiments that they are effective and efficient and we make sure they're representative of the Canadian situation.
1: So Keith Lennon is the Director of Ocean Science with DFO, and uh, he's up in the Ottawa area. So these field trials are going to be postponed for the time being so that they've got all the logistics down before they conduct them. Um, that's it for us for today. I really appreciate your time uh, this afternoon. I want to thank all of the people who contributed. Um, as well, we'll be back tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. And uh, have yourself, well, if you're going to go outside, put on a really heavy jacket because you're going <laughs> to need it. Um, and I'll be doing the same thing, zipped right up to there. Yeah, it's so, you know, when we look outside the newsroom, it looks so pretty. It's it looks so, so nice. Yeah, it's so encouraging, and those yeah. fluffy clouds, and it just looks beautiful. It g- 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 looks beautiful <laughs> out there. So uh do uh, stay warm everyone. Uh and we'll talk tomorrow. Thanks for listening.